0: Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio here in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose driven companies. My guest today is Damian Bradfield. Damian is president and chief marketing officer of file transfer service WeTransfer. Damian joined WeTransfer a year after they were born in 2009. So he joined in 2010. He initially joined as chief strategy officer. Now he's chief marketing officer. And in that capacity, he's responsible for lots of things, including establishing the company culture. And I think what's striking to me and anybody who's been on WeTransfer, and I've been using WeTransfer almost from the start, is that they have a very purpose-driven stance on a lot of issues that are very serious issues, everything from gun control to climate change net neutrality, and several others. Damien is behind a lot of the thinking, a lot of the narrative, and a lot of the actions behind what WeTransfer does. WeTransfer makes most of its money, I believe, and Damien can correct me if I'm wrong about this, from advertising. But they also give away about 30% of advertising to aspiring artists and musicians and designers to be able to show their work. And they also give away a lot of this advertising to take a stance on social issues that I mentioned earlier. So since its inception, WeTransfer has transformed from really a small file sharing service in Amsterdam to a worldwide business that can really fulfill a spectrum of creative needs. The motto is people first, creativity second, technology third. However, Damien has reaffirmed WeTransfer's commitment to being more than just an online platform. And just last month, and I'm going to ask Damien about this a little bit more, they launched a very controversial, kind of an anti-technology in some ways campaign called Please Leave where they encourage artists to take a break from their screens, which includes WeTransfer, to find inspiration from meaningful real-world experiences. Damien Bradfield, welcome to Brand on Purpose.
1: Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. It's
0: a pleasure to have you. So I mentioned a little earlier, you guys are not tackling easy issues, right? These are issues that companies of all sizes would probably consider taboo or stray away from or have some very nuanced verbiage and it'd have to be only under duress when talking about these issues. So you are leaning heavily into not just cultural zeitgeist things, but heavy issues like gun control and climate change and net neutrality. And you've launched so many initiatives. This podcast would be an hour long if we talked about every one of them, but talk a little bit about the idea behind being purpose-driven and whether or not that was from the start in 2009 how that came to be such an important part of the business.
1: So I think it's always been part of the DNA of the company because we launched at a time when the internet was really booming. And it's not to say that it isn't booming today, but there was sort of unprecedented growth, unbelievable interest in experimenting with new things. You know, If you can think back to the early days of the App Store, people were just land grabbing, producing apps, downloading apps, putting everything and anything on their phone to try to get as much access to new stuff as they possibly could. And we had this very simple site that had a massive full screen image in the background. And it was a format that was developed really to look great. It was aesthetics first. And the idea was that we'd be able to monetize it by selling it to different brands or media companies, whatever. But it was a completely different format. The market was moving into programmatic advertising, and we had a format that really required manual labor to to produce something and put it up. So as a result, we had a lot of inventory that we couldn't sell. We all came from that sort of creative field. We had a design studio and had previously worked in advertising and we're sort of surrounded by creative friends. It was just so easy to give away that media space to support projects from friends that if you're... A budding writer or illustrator we all know how hard it is to get your work seen and so we had this gift of being able to do something with this media space give it to somebody who would be eternally grateful for it in return you know our users just saw something that was a fantastic fantastically beautiful looking experience fast forward to a few years down the line and we're a bigger team we were a bit more strategic about what we could do with that space and I guess as we matured, you know, we were bumping into different campaigns and projects and issues and causes. And one of the exciting things is that you could be in um, a meeting in London and someone would be talking about an advertising campaign or whatever. And then they'd say, you know, but on the side, I'm working on this project that's about plastics in the ocean. And we could turn around and say, you know what, we can help you with that. Why don't you just give us a, a wallpaper ad and we'll run a few million impressions and we'll help you with that project. And that was always the thing that everyone got excited about. It was like, everybody, I think, that's creative has a side project. Every major entrepreneur invests in something that is outside of
0: their day-to-day business. This is my side project. This is an example. Right. Right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So everyone's got one, right? And then we were able to help them fulfill that, get visibility on that side project that they didn't necessarily have the money to, to go out and buy.
0: But you guys did this, correct me if I'm wrong. So you gave away space. But you did this before you were profitable, didn't you?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: That's incredible. That's real to me. Because I mean, so many companies like, okay, now that we're actually making money, and I don't, I'm not disparaging those. Now we can start giving it away. But this was part and parcel to who you are, like you said, in your DNA. You didn't wait to be profitable. You said, this is who we are. And eventually, we'll get a yield out of it, right? As our business grows, at least we're able to give back as it grows.
1: Well, I don't think we even looked at it as eventually we'll get a yield out of it. I think it was that we had... If you've got x amount of money on the bank at a certain point you know you only need so much right and the rest of it you could do something decent with Mm -hmm. and i think a big part of this is the company started in amsterdam and this is a market that is heavily driven by calvinism and it's a heavily or historically very social market so it's very much about helping others and understanding when you have enough and understanding and appreciating what you have and i think that's a very different market than the us it is nowhere near as much founded and grounded around consumption and capitalism. So if you grow up, if you're building this company in that market, at a certain point, it's like, you know, why would you not do that? It would almost be frowned upon if you want to do something like that. And I think, you know, one of the major reasons that people join we Transfer is not because we're a software business or we're creating new products around creativity, but because we do a lot to support the place that we came from in the market that we that we all aspire to, you know, play some sort of role in. And we're able to do something quite fantastic off the back of it. And we now have 50 million users pretty much in every country of the world. So when we do something today, it has a real impact. I mean, it can really make a difference.
0: How do you choose the actual causes and the campaigns themselves? I mean, there's so many things to choose from, and I'm sure you're being pitched constantly. So is there a process? Is there a committee? I mean, what process internally do you go through to determine what... Issue and what cause to promote or to source next.
1: We are pitched a lot. The majority is sort of inbound pitches we receive from um, creatives. So you know, people pitching a festival idea, or people somebody, somebody pitching a an art installation, or something that they need some part financial backing or media backing. And that's a combination. you I know mean, in that selection process, we have an editorial team. They manage the site called We Present. We present is the place where we feature all of the long-form storytelling and projects that we commission or that are a result of that inbound request that we might have. With regards to the cause-related stuff, it's very personal. So I think you know, there's a few of us that care, particularly around certain topics and have always supported certain topics. As we grow, undoubtedly we'll have to be more rigorous or perhaps more, perhaps form a committee to make sure that we're doing that and respecting. Everybody's wishes and intentions within the company, because it is very clear that a lot of people join WeTransfer because they really are passionate about that sort of stuff and want to play a more active role. So we will have to get into a place where there will be more of a commissioning approach. But today, when we moved out here and opened up the US office, we opened up in LA. I have two kids that were at the time eight and 11. And suddenly we were being confronted with the Parkland shootings, and my kids had to go through lockdown drills and metal detectors and having their bags searched for weapons coming from the Netherlands that had never ever crossed our minds for one second that any kid at the age of eight would have to be concerned about their safety at school and we had a few projects that were sort of all coming together at the same time one was around a story of somebody who'd survived a shooting another was a photography project on the victims of shootings and then uh, a friend of mine here is also Dutch said, why don't we make a film, make a film about veterans and talking about their their feelings towards assault weapons and try to put some education back into the market around the sort of ridiculous nature of guns. We just did it, to be honest. It wasn't necessarily that we thought that we were going to do a particularly big project around gun reform. It just all sort of came about at that at that same time. And then with the Parkland shootings, it felt like it was almost essential that we did it and we had a role to play in um, using our platform to bring some of this to life. And the film that we actually made ended up going to the March for Our Lives in Washington and Emma Gonzalez played it for millions of people in all across the states, which was quite phenomenal, you know, but it's one of those projects that we just cared about. You can't ignore it, right? I mean, everybody cares, but a lot of people care.
0: Especially with that issue, did you get a lot of hate mail or backlash or any, anything that was kind of scary, negative, thrown back at you that you're aware of? And I ask only because I have commented on and written about it even in my own as a contributor for Forbes around issues of the NRA and enough is enough and gun violence and things like that. And I've gotten some really, really crazy, wacko, crazy, scary emails. I'm just wondering if you guys are seeing that as well or saw any of that.
1: Yeah, of course. But I think we see a fair bit of it in general anyway, with the number of users that we have. At
0: a certain point, you've got
1: to just grow a couple of extra layers of skin and look at it from the bigger perspective. And you know, all the products that we have across paste and paper, and we present and we transfer, we're, we're nearly reaching, I don't know, 55, 60 million users, something like that. If 100 people are a bit pissed about something that we say or do, or don't particularly like a stance that we've taken, in the biggest scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. So we get a fair bit of that, and that's not uncommon anyway. With regards to this, now I wouldn't say that we got a ton of it. We also sought out a lot of advice before we did it. I have a very good friend who runs a project called uh, Liberty United. He buys up guns, um, melts them down, and repurposes them into pens and jewellery and stuff like that and is basically trying to take guns out of circulation in America and Africa. And we got a lot of advice from – his name is Peter Toom, a lot of advice from Peter on how to communicate this, what sort of language we should use, how, how we can ensure that we get our point across without offending those people that are particularly extreme. So we trod quite carefully around it, I think, and are fortunate that we know a lot of people in around this space that helped us do it carefully.
0: Yeah, that's smart. So on to somewhat lighter issues, although not very light, I suppose, you guys as well offered almost 175 SoundCloud employees, and they're laid off in 2017, each $10,000 to remain unemployed and to create something new. <laughs> I love the idea. Did I get that right? Or am I overstating that?
1: It was for them to not take a job, but to start a business. It wasn't that they should stay unemployed, but they should just not fall into that trap of having to feel like they were going to have to go out and get a job and to realize perhaps what SoundCloud had given them. That's what I was particularly keen on was that SoundCloud was one of the most influential platforms that existed in and around music. You know, it was a platform that if you were a budding, aspiring musician, you'd start your career on SoundCloud. That was almost a given. And what seemed to be happening was that, you know, in this in this world of tech and investment, and um, they were being forced into having to sort of try and play against Spotify, which looked like they weren't going to be able to do. So what I was desperately hoping for was that we'd be able to start a conversation around, you know, hey, just think about it a second, take what you know, and apply that to something new. That really does help those young musicians that need it need they really rely on a space like SoundCloud today right it plays a I think it still plays a fundamental role in the lives of an early musician, but I was worried that they were going to lose that
0: and what happened? Did anybody take you up on it
1: So the, the whole project was basically you know don't get a job, start a business, and it's not that we were offering them millions of dollars to go away and create something right. I mean it was a very small investment for these people individuals to to do something, but the feeling was that we started, we transferred with a very limited amount of cash and managed to bootstrap it. And some degrees, you don't need a lot of money to get an idea to a place where you could pitch it or make a proposal to somebody with a bit more money. So we just basically gifted $10,000. It wasn't a loan. It wasn't an investment. It was a gift. What people had to do was basically just tell us that they were going to do something with this money that would be in some way towards starting a company or starting a a festival, or whatever it might be,
0: just not fire festival.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure they applied, but no. So we wrote to 175 ex-employees, whatever it was. We tried. I think we got a list from Medium of all the email um, contacts of the people who got laid off. Um, we had, I can't remember how many applications we had, but at the end of the day, we only really got nine or ten decent applications that came through. And that's who we gifted the money to. Um, so it was a mixture of people that were starting something similar to SoundCloud, something in the female music space, female music festival, that sort of initiative.
0: Have you kept in touch with any of those folks? Or?
1: We've kept in touch, but I cannot tell you hand on heart that any of them has been particularly successful or that they've gone on to great things. The only thing I can tell you is that, you know, I think people at, the mo- at that time were very grateful for the for the offer at least. And I know a couple of them have gone on to manage to raise additional money and to begin to build a business. But at this very moment in time, I wouldn't say that it was an amazingly successful campaign or project or gift that really kickstarted something fantastic. It's not like we've seen a new SoundCloud, unfortunately, come out of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But still, you gave away, what, ninety to to $100,000. And even if it didn't help to create the next Soundcloud or what have you what it did is help reinforce among those individuals the the need to pay it forward right and hopefully they'll be in a position to do something similar either in small ways or large ways based on the example that you set for them and that's I think the win to be honest with you everything else is just gravy
1: yeah so I appreciate you saying that because not everybody uh, there was some criticism at the time right that it was just a PR stunt and it was a you know, it's a company that's not giving away very much at the end of the day. $10,000 isn't a lot of money. And I really beg to differ. I think it isn't about the money. At its best, it would have been somebody reaching out and saying, I've got a great idea. Thanks very much for for that gift. This is what I've done. And then can you help me promote it and take it forwards? And as a company, that's something we've always stood behind. There is nothing that the team loves more than getting involved in a project, be it ours or somebody else's, and seeing it succeed. You know, seeing it land, seeing it take life form in another market where it started in Paris. Maybe this exhibition or whatever it is that we're supporting, you know, ends up touring the world and, and finishes in Morocco or something or other. That concept, I think, is, is really cool. That's something that actually everybody, I think, gets up every morning excited about, trying to help.
0: I call it positive contagion. You just want it to spread in a good way. A far more intelligent phrase than I've ever thought. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to reinvigorate the word contagion, I guess, make it more positive. And then your most recent campaign, the please leave campaign. You want to talk a little bit about that? I just think it's interesting when a tech company is basically saying, and I know I'm taking this too literally, kind of get off your technology and why don't you go find yourself and find inspiration in the analog design or art, music or whatever world, and then come back to us. Talk a little bit about that. That's pretty cool.
1: Well, so we made a report called the Ideas Report. Again, since 2009, we've always been looking at trying to get feedback from our user base and trying to understand, you know, what they do, who they are, and as as much in the real world as we possibly can. So combination of interviews and then a combination of quantum qual. And what came back from the last ideas report that we did was that a huge chunk of our user base didn't get inspiration from being behind the screen. And this may sound obvious and um, I'm sure for a lot of people it's like yeah of course do it it's just not where you get energy and it is very obvious but I think for a lot of us we get trapped into spending an, an obscene amount of time behind a screen and thinking that so long as we're going through our routine of catching up on the New York Times and reading Twitter and whatever other blog and stuff that we've done that we've got our, our sort of daily dose of updates and news and stuff and then we're inspired and what was really obvious is that people are not inspired from sitting behind a screen for hours and end. Our audience in particular love getting away from the screen, getting outdoors and get inspiration from the people and things happening in the environment around them. And that's just something that resonated with us too. We were like, this makes sense. In order for me to come back in and be able to write something, I need to have a break and talk to somebody, meet somebody, see something, do something, and then come back in. And then I've got the energy to put another. 45 minutes, an hour and a half, whatever it is, into writing something or finishing something. And once that's done, I need to get up and go away and do something else again. What's happening today is that we increasingly we're becoming remote. A lot more people are working from home. And that's great because it gives them independence. It's great because it gives them the flexibility. But it also means a lot of time you get up, you don't even get dressed. You sit behind your laptop, you get stuck into the morning emails or Slack or whatever else. You barely come up to breathe to get a cup of coffee before you have got to jump on a Skype call or a Google Hangout or something else. And before you know it, it's four o'clock and you're still in your pajamas and you haven't actually spoken to anybody in the real world or seen anything. And I think for society in general, you know, we need to reflect on our posture, look at how we're sitting hunched, arched over our screens, living off caffeine and solen <laughs> and get outside, get some inspiration, then come back in and, and put some time into stuff that That can make a phenomenal difference, right? We're not saying don't use WeTransfer and don't use the internet and anything else. It's just like anything in life. Use it in moderation. Be sensible. Don't eat 10 hamburgers a day. Just one hamburger a week is not going to kill you. It's all good.
0: Just think about it. At our agency, we have something called Inspiration Days. And we actually mandate that people take at least two days off a year, fully paid days, where they can go do anything where they can kind of reinvigorate themselves. It should somehow relate to work only in that they're going to come back and talk about it. But it's like, read a book, go to a museum, go to a festival, go to a concert, go to a show, but just we're basically paying you to refine inspiration. That's not digital, right? It's a little bit more analog. And I think it works. I think it's important. And I think it really does provide people less path dependency because that's really what we all get involved day in and day out. And I think that technology can help, unfortunately, reinforces that.
1: I think it's good. It's complicated in the world of tech, right? And, and probably also in advertising and media where there is there is a traditional pace at which you're expected to work at. And there are traditional hours that you're supposed to put in. And especially when you're in the service industry, I guess, you're, you're also somewhat beholden to a client, right? Who may not be that respectful of your time because their focus is on their own. We started the company in Holland and work-life balance is super important. Happiness is an index that's probably far more important to anybody than wealth. When you know, I've got kids, so when you're talking to parents, there's a very visible difference between the Netherlands and and the US, where in the Netherlands the conversation would be, you know, hey, how's Benji? Is he is he happy? And in the US, it might well be, hey, how's Benji? Is he learning French yet?
0: Or Mandarin or something, or seven languages, right? Yeah, right.
1: exactly. Yeah. Those are two vastly different worlds, right? So it's harder, I think, to set up those sort of parameters for people to go away and be able to get work-life balance and actually come into work fresh and energized and willing to put that time in, in the US and in the service industry where it's not always respected. We talk a good game, but it's not always really respected.
0: Right. Or we have to force it. I, I just sent my daughter off to her seventh year of sleepaway camp and it's seven weeks long. And whenever I speak to anybody outside the U S they're like, wait, you send your daughter away for seven weeks every summer. I'm like, yeah, she has no social media. She's living in a bunk, a cabin in the middle of the woods with like nine or 10 other girls. And actually those friendships that she's formed with these other girls are lifelong friendships. They've never been tighter and I think it's really healthy, even though I miss her. And in aggregate, it's almost a year of her life of her fifteen years that I haven't seen her. But I think it's making her a healthier, better person. I really do. And I didn't have that advantage or that privilege when I was young, so it's still a little foreign to me. But I can see the benefit.
1: Again, right? I mean, it's horses for courses. It's whatever works for you and your family and your setup. And I think the most important thing you're going to have within your family setup or within your company setup is. Transparency and an honest dialogue between what works for you and not judging, trying to set up parameters because other people tell you this is what you should do in you know in this context. If if seven weeks works for you and your family, then that's what you should do. And I'm if she's happy, right? Who am I to judge it or anybody else to?
0: It's a nice break for the parents too. <laughs> not gonna sure. lie. Seven, right.
1: seven weeks without my kids. Oh my god, that'd right. be amazing.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so the majority of your user base is. And correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably more on the design and art side. There's a lot of business users, me as well. But I'm going to take a guess that you've got a lot of designers and artists and musicians and whatnot, right?
1: I think we've got every Tom, Dick and Harry on WeTransfer. Let's rephrase that. I think in a new market, the pioneers, the the people that first instigate the use of WeTransfer are generally in that space. But as the market matures, it becomes for everybody. There are many lawyers using WeTransfer as there are musicians. And in in a market like the US, we've got, it would have started, I mean, the market here in the US would generally always start with somebody who's in media. They're a designer working in a media agency, a creative agency, working in film production or something. But over time, as they're using the tools more and more, it just broadens out and becomes super inclusive. And not forgetting, right, that WeTransfer is no longer just the file sharing service. So we have... 3 million readers that we present, they're from every walk of life. The people that use paper, the drawing app uh, for iOS, again, are obviously creative. It's a real mix of people who just enjoy, I think, the products that we push out that are really just about enabling or about facilitating something or other.
0: It feels like you're a little bit more like a digital media company in many ways.
1: You said earlier on that our money comes from advertising. Our money comes half from advertising and half from subscriptions so we're very much a media company when you visit wetransfer.com on a desktop you will see ads that rotate every 40 seconds and they'll be interspersed with a story about i don't know fk twigs and a new album that she's produced or about Roxanne gay and her creative writing process or maybe even the spice girls and then we present is 100 percent a media platform we don't yet monetize it it's it's really just about long-form storytelling, but in the future, you know, the likelihood is that that will be a space that brands might be able to play a role in, or that we would look to uh, look to monetize. But at the moment, we're trying to build basically an ecosystem that hopefully fits into every aspect of a creative thinker's life. So we present is about sparking ideas. Collect is an iOS app for basically creating digital rich media mood boards. You can aggregate anything from Spotify playlist to YouTube videos, photos and everything in the playlist. That for us is really about that sort of collection or collation of ideas and paper and paste. And we transfer about the actual creation of something and the exportation of that idea. So in the spectrum of the creative process, we're trying to play a role in multiple touch points across a creator's journey or through the production of something and hopefully in the future beyond that. But more and more so, we're a media company that I think is very much involved in the ideas business.
0: How did you meet the founders? Was it more serendipity? How did that happen? You came to the company in 2010. It was formed in 2009. I mean, very early days.
1: Yeah, so it launched December 1, 2009, and it was launched by a small group. So there were two guys really that founded it, a guy called Bus Behrens and a guy called Nalden. Bus had a creative agency basically was looking to build something that would help him push files, push assets that he was creating to his clients. And Naldon had a blog. So he had this blog called Naldon.net. And in the background, he had these full screen images. And basically those two guys came together and shared knowledge. And Naldon contributed his concept for aesthetics to Bass's idea for this file transferring business. And that was December, 2009. I joined in like June, 2010. I was working at an agency and we transfer didn't really have a fixed location, so Naldon was working from somewhere else, and Bus was working from his office. And I had this massive building that was part empty in Amsterdam, so I gave, somebody introduced me to Naldon and I gave him an office space, and we got talking and working together. We transfer was bootstrapped, so we had to find income from other places. So everybody had a sort of side job, so Naldon had his blog, and Bas had an agency, and a, Know um, and I later founded another agency called Present Plus, and through just overlapping interests, we were all coming from the very same place, and we were all very excited about what we transfer could represent. What I brought to the table was basically the brand partnership relationship stuff that Knowlton and bus weren 't necessarily focused on or necessarily spending their time doing that 's really what I brought to the table early on. And at that point, literally it was just sort of six people in a room. So it was very young.
0: So what advice would you give someone who was once in your position in those early days where you are, it's kind of a side hustle. It's very interesting, but you still need to make the rent. You still have bills to pay, you have financial obligations, you've got realities. That moment where you make the decision to go full time and to just go for it and the opportunities are sometimes what you can't see right in front of you, right? What advice would you give someone in your position today? And there's a lot of people like that. And we talked about that earlier.
1: Yes, I think a lot of people would say you've got to go all in. Just do it. Just go all in and take the risk. That's easy to say, but it depends on which market you're in. In the Netherlands, at the time that we were trying to set up we transfer, it was highly likely that you would raise $200,000 for 20% equity in the business. $200,000 is going to get you nowhere when you're trying to build out a team and you're going to give
0: up 20% stake That's shark tank money, right? When you're trying to put together like a new hairdryer or something, right?
1: You're not really going to go anywhere with it. Right. If anything, it's going to hold you back. So I would really question whether you can bootstrap it and have you got the energy to do it because it does require a lot of time. I'm not sure that everybody has the ability to be able to focus on multiple things at the same time. I think somehow, you know, if you come from the agency world, you're used to doing five, six, seven different clients or seven different projects at any one time. So you can multitask quite well. But we all know, right, if you're in that agency world, again, it's not the most effective way of spending your time. So you've got to put a dot on the horizon when you're going to go, I'm going to do this until that time. And from that moment onwards, if it's not working, we're going to kill it. And in the agency that we had, Present Plus, which was running the same time as we transferred, we killed a lot of stuff that just didn't make the cut. We invested a lot of money in other projects and products, and none of them were going anywhere compared to WeTransfer. WeTransfer just kept on growing, kept on proving that it was something that people loved. So only at that moment, once we had the feeling that we experimented with other things and this was the thing, did we go, okay, we're all in. Maybe I'm cautious around this sort of thing, but I would say I think you should tread lightly. If you look at the statistics of success and failure around startups and, and new companies, it's It errs on the side of failure, and today, I think there's, the world is a much harder place to differentiate and create product that people really need. Again, back in 2009, people were playing in all sorts of fields, and people didn't know what they needed. We're trying to assess what worked for us and what we wanted in our lives, in our digital lives. Today, I think people know a lot more what they want, and they're a lot pickier, and they're going to see through the sign-up forms and all the rest of it that you're going to throw down their throats in order to try to capture a new audience. So it's tough today, no question, it's tougher.
0: And even tougher, just to remind our listeners, 2009, we were just entering into one of the worst recessions. Some people would even say a depression following the 2008 crash. So, you know, you have to be a little crazy maybe, or incredibly resilient to say, hey, I have an idea, let's launch a new company. <laughs> Now's a <the> perfect time. <laughs> I don't think you guys are giving yourselves enough credit for either being crazy or crazy focused and you're onto something, but I think that's impressive.
1: So it's definitely tougher today, but there's also a lot more money in the market today. So the financials have changed so you can, uh, I just read that there's a billionaire per 11,000 inhabitants in San Francisco. I can remember as a kid, there were no billionaires really that existed. Maybe John Paul Getty, very few billionaires on earth. And today we're talking about in a city like San Francisco, you know, one billionaire per eleven thousand inhabitants. That's just insane. So there is also a lot of money out there. I think you've got to be careful. And this is probably one of the biggest lessons that we've learned. And it's not that we had our fingers badly burnt, but just something I've learned in the process of doing WeTransfer. Is you know, be just be careful who you take money from and what their expectations are, and really do your homework. And it's the way I think you've got to treat investment or starting a company, or your partners, or anything else, is do these people represent the same values that you have? And are they motivated to do the things that you're setting out to achieve? And if it's just about money, you should really question whether or not you want to have those people on board.
0: Agreed. I think that's well said. Damien, it was great to have you on Brand On Purpose. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and we transfer, as well as we present, of course?
1: So we present is just WePresent.com. For me, it's Twitter. I only use Twitter. I'm I'm trying to get off everything else. And for WeTransfer, it's probably Instagram, I would say. It's where you'll find the richest content, um, the best stories around what we're doing in terms of creativity or the cause-related stuff we're doing. So it's probably Instagram.
0: And, of course, use the service. That's my public service announcement. (laughs) Thanks, Damien. All
1: right. Thanks for your time. This has been an
0: episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire, Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer, Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com. Follow our Instagram at theboppodcast. And learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com.